The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed during this or any broadcasts belong solely to our guests or our hosts. These broadcasts do not represent or reflect the views of their employers, sponsors, or affiliated organizations. Welcome to the Flipboard EDU podcast with your host, William Jeffrey, where we collaborate, communicate, and educate with the greatest educators in the world on Flipboard. Let's start the show. Welcome back, Flipboard fam. This is your favorite coach, Coach Jeffrey. And graduation is one of the most celebrated events in the American school system. Students, parents, teachers, and principals all look forward to the day when they can collectively celebrate the culmination of all students' learning. However, a new term has surfaced during the pandemic, learning loss. The loss of academic progress that may lead to students not graduating due to low test scores. Standardized testing is not a good reflection of a student's development and growth and a growing number of colleges and universities are eliminating exam requirements. Are there other factors that are driving standardized testing in education? A surprising connection to real estate markets and education is surfacing. Real estate firms heavily rely on the data from tests to sell and construct new homes across the country. For this episode, we speak with educators on Clubhouse about learning loss, its connection to the pandemic, standardized testing, real estate, and other factors. We also discuss what skills students need to gain in order to be successful. So like we always do at this time, let's collaborate, communicate, and educate with the best educators in the world right here on Flipboard EDU Podcast. Francis, I'm going to start with you. You said that you were a educator for 15 years. You are now a publicist. Introduce yourself to our listening audience, please. Hi, my name is Francis Purdue. I am the CEO of Purdue Inc. We are a full service PR firm and branding company. I was an educator for 15 years and transitioned into publicity in 2009. Thank you so much. And we also have Tiffany, who just joined us in this talk through Clubhouse. Tiffany, if you can introduce yourself to our listening audience. My name is Tiffany Wiley. I have been in education for 17 years now. I also have Laura here. Laura is my wife. She is my backup. Tiffany and I work together. We have the same position. Tiffany and I shared a room while we were at the other school before we moved into our school. Here's my first question. My first question goes to Tiffany. Do you think there's such thing as learning loss? Yes, I do. And I say that because just being in education and being in special education, when I was in the classroom, I definitely saw the learning loss between with my students because the process and the things that they have to go through and with the standardized tests and different things like that that were never specifically made for them and they had to take them. I do feel as if there's a learning loss, not just with SPED students, but I'll say in general. Okay. Specifically on the pandemic, do you think or have you seen evidence of a true learning loss with students in your current roles in either one of you? Oh, yes, definitely. And with all the students, I think there's going to be a major learning loss, uh, especially when we start back in the fall with all the students coming back from online and all of that 
I think there's definitely going to be a learning loss for majority of the students. Okay, great. And Francis, did you have something to say about that? Yes, definitely working in the impoverished areas that I was in, I actually saw that there was a lot of learning loss due to students dealing with extra stuff outside of the curriculum, outside of the classroom that's filled in. I've worked in special needs as well as regular education for early elementary. And basically that was the main issue is that once you have them in the classroom and they're comfortable, getting them to learn. But there was a lot of learning loss between the time that they went home and they came back. Okay. I'm going to give and I set it up because I have an argument and I want to see if I'm wrong or if I'm overreacting. Y'all tell me if I'm wrong. One of the questions was about the sedulous forest. My son had to look at this picture and the, the picture was, does this plant belong in the deciduous forest? And I had to explain to my son what a deciduous forest was. This was the star test for the state of Texas, the the level of questioning, I don't think he's getting that same vocabulary in class because I taught biology when I was a teacher. And that's a term that I know that I was introducing my freshmen to. I'm wondering, is it really learning loss or are we not testing students to what that they what they need to know? I, I don't know. Am I being funny about that? I'm going to chime in right there for you for a second. So students, we know because of COVID have lost at least a good year of instruction. A lot of teachers are trying to fill in those gaps. So they're not necessarily teaching what the students are supposed to be learning as they are trying to teach towards the test. And the test that they're taking this year is the 2020 star test in the state of Texas. Therefore, they're cramming in a lot of knowledge. But if you think about it, a child in fifth grade technically is still on a fourth grade level. Thank you for that. Francis, what do you say about that? I agree with Laura about the actual learning levels because I've had to bring up a lot of reading levels when I taught third grade where their students were literally on the first grade level and they were pushed through second. As far as the students itself, the students have quick learning styles. I watched my nephew on the virtual learning, and it was really crazy how the curriculum is no longer scaffold. So they're teaching, but the students aren't really grasping it because they have all the distractions. And then on top of that, like you said, they give packets for the students to take home or for their parents to download and for them to do it. And a lot of times they don't get through the whole curriculum in terms of what's being taught to them virtually. So there's a real big gap between the learning comprehension and what's actually being given. Now, I don't know about other states, but in California, when I taught, I actually had a lot of teachers teaching to the test. So they tell us not to teach to the test, but then they hold the test high in regard that it puts us in a conundrum, I would say, in terms of you're teaching and you want the kids to understand, like you said, the actual high vocabulary and things that are on the standardized test. And I taught Casey. So that was the California high school X exam for my last assignment. And it was very difficult to not teach to the test, but also help students in terms of these are the things that you need to know going into the next grade level. But also these are the things that they're going to test on. So it's always a balance that teachers are caught in in my opinion, in terms of helping the students but not forgetting the standards that are state standards, federal standards, as well as the test itself. 
Excellent. I like that. I just want to state for my son's teacher is that I don't hold them accountable for trying to prepare my son. And I think that they're doing as best as they could with given the situation that they're given. I think that what really bothers me is the vocabulary that I saw on the science test. And I know he's not having those curricular conversations in class. It's hard for anybody to pass a test when you're not having those curricular conversations. It's almost like drinking from from a fire hydrant with a straw, pretty much the information he's going to take in, especially if he's not having those curricular conversations and those curricular conversations were hard to go on before there was COVID. So even as you approach COVID and the fact that students were not in front of a teacher for a time period, and now they're expected to take a standardized test, what is the reason why they have to take that standardized test? Are we testing for knowledge? Is there something else? This year, the test doesn't necessarily, in the state of Texas, the test doesn't count towards a child advancing to the next grade level. It doesn't hold a child back, fail them. There's no accountability on the school or the teachers, even though that the teachers are working hard to push this knowledge. I just think it we're giving these tests based for not even for data. I want to agree. I agree with what Laura said. And in, in my opinion, testing this year, it seems like it's financial because the state of Texas already knows what has went on. And it seems like to me, they should have not did the testing, especially if it's not going to even count this year. I think, like I said, in my opinion, everything revolves around some kind of financial and money and numbers and things like that. There is an article that that is posted in our Flipboard EDU podcast magazine, and it is titled, What Does COVID-19 Learning Loss Actually Mean? And it was written by Mr. Tommy Thompson, who is a district administrator for high poverty school districts. And I just want to read this quote and then y'all tell me what you guys think. Uh, and it starts off, educators throughout the globe are concerned about students learning loss as a result of the constraints of the pandemic has placed on teachers and students. Interestingly, there has been limited discussion on specifically what is being lost, exactly what knowledge and skills have been lost. In some states, there are no statewide curricular. Many school districts do not have common assessments that measure curricular attainment. This means that learning loss is different for each school district and varies within even school districts, depending on how each teacher measures curricular attainment. No system exists that can accurately identify learning loss. Did he get that wrong? I wouldn't say that he or she got it wrong. I would say that we will not know the long-term effects until we have a pandemic-free society where we can actually compare the data of today to the data that would be without the constraints that they have today. And then also with a regular curriculum style, how can we compare apples and oranges? If we've never had a pandemic like this before, then how can we actually come up with accurate data? Now, we can say that if they took a test, and it's not scaffold for special needs for students that don't have different abilities and levels, et cetera. And you're giving the same test to everybody, like a standardized test, no matter what the state, we can say that they are not grasping certain things that the state or the school district or what have you say that they should learn in the fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade. But it will still be difficult to see the teaching style of virtual learning, how deeply it affects affected them and then also 
what they weren't grasping at home because people think that parents were at home this whole time. A lot of these parents were still working full-time jobs in the pandemic and dealing with that. Someone dealing with loss of loved ones. It's a lot of things that came with the pandemic that they're not factoring, in my opinion. So I feel like the data has to be on hold to actually say this is the actual loss until we have a post-pandemic society. Tiffany, what do you think about that? I feel as if the, like Francis said, the Pretty much this the virtual instruction. In my opinion, I feel like it's going to be around for a little while. I don't think that we're totally out of the park with it. I think that we've seen how it went this past school year. And I think that we're going to have maybe another two or three school years with virtual because there are still some parents who are still frightened and scared. Or any, and I understand that. I'm a mother. So I understand that. But I feel like we have a long way to go because I don't see us being out of the park with virtual learning. And then trying to get the kids back in, the ones that may come back in the fall from virtual, trying to get them back situated into going back face-to-face, I think that's going to be a learning loss for them. And and just the students who continue to have the virtual learning, I think they're going to continue to have some type of learning loss as well. I think just I think that's just the the way of life that we're going to be living for a little while. I, I agree with that. I don't see that it's going away and I hope it doesn't spike anymore and a lot of us are affected have been affected by by the pandemic and you guys said like you all alluded to was that There are other factors that it seems to be pushing why students have to be tested. I just want to just for a little bit more context, there is another article that is posted in our Flipboard EDU podcast magazine that is entitled Race, School, Ratings and Real Estate, a Legal Gray Area. And this was published back in 2016. This is before we had a pandemic. Before we had a pandemic, we already knew that. There was a large, persistent, well-documented gap in test scores between black, Hispanic and white and, and Asian peers of those students. By us continuing to test what is usable from that data now, if it was as apparent as it was back in 2016, are we trying to see how bad the pandemic affected us or is this something that we can use as a projector from a growth model? I think it just boils down at the end of the day to financial gain because there's so much data that you can get and every time you turn around there's a different test that has to be given to kids whether it's a state assessment, a district assessment, REN360, there's so many intervention things, there's just so many tests, so many data points that are kids truly learning to learn or are they learning to meet data points that end up being a financial growth in the long run? Okay. Now, Lord, now you saying financial growth and I hate to put you on the spot, but who do you think is benefiting the most from the financial, the financing of the test? I don't believe that it's educators. What I can tell you is that we found a link and this is well-documented It's in our EDU podcast magazine, so I don't want to put anybody on the spot in any ISD. But realistically, real estate companies and agencies and home builders use the data from the school to attract people to live in neighborhoods. My question is, and this is a question I was thinking about while Laura was talking, was who is going to hurt the most 
out of the pandemic testing. Do you think it's going to be the kindergartner who was in kindergarten last year and didn't get the foundation? Or would it be the 11th grader who started in chemistry and they didn't get the foundation in chemistry and now they're moving towards graduation? Which group of students do you think is going to have the most learning loss? I'm just going to say working in both high school and elementary school, I think they both will have more learning loss. But also as a parent of a high schooler and elementary schooler in elementary, that's your basics. That's your foundation. And if you don't have that foundation and you just keep getting moved from grade to grade, by the time you are that 11th grader, you've lost so much. In my opinion, I think that it is the kindergartner that lost that foundation. And then it puts the extra stress on the teachers because now that kindergartner that went through the whole COVID thing and the whole pandemic is now in first grade or is in second grade now and is still trying to figure out how to write and and it's pushing them farther behind at the end of the day the teachers are going to have to work harder which makes it a stressful situation for teachers and that's why we're losing a lot of great educators and that it also puts stress on the child as well and the parents tiffany you have anything to add to that i was sitting here thinking as Laura was speaking, and I was like, oh, yeah, both. And then once she broke it down, I was like, yeah, that's totally it. Because just thinking in our positions and what we do and what we see, the kindergartner, if that kindergartner lost, but then you have to think about it another way, too, if that kindergartner lost a lot of information from being in COVID, that kindergartner could possibly be retained to to get that knowledge that they lost during COVID and it wouldn't be a, a big deal. Okay, you retained them in kindergarten, it's okay. They can continue to go on. But that 11th grader, that would be horrific if that child was retained and couldn't go on to, to graduate or whatever. I definitely agree and I think that the kindergartner is where the most loss would occur. But in since they're so young, in my opinion, I feel like that can be recouped and they can make those advancements because they are so they are so young. In our position, we see the referrals and they come in kindergarten, they come in first grade, they come in second grade. And sometimes the teachers don't necessarily give the students enough time to to learn as much as they can. And they, oh, okay, they don't know it. So let's refer them for special education. And sometimes you just have to give children a little bit more time to get it. And then I think eventually they will. And that's just my viewpoint on looking at it as with what we do and, and what we see every day. Tiffany, I'm glad you brought that up because the referral to special education is a lot of times, especially in that tier one instructional and in tier one, we're talking about the RTI, the response to intervention and in tier one is mostly teacher driven. But it is an enormous target on a teacher's back to, number one, come out of COVID and to have that learning loss in front of them. And now, normally, they would have to instruct students to be ready for a test at a certain date. But now they have to speed it up. And Frances alluded to this when she said when she was in education that that's what she had. You don't teach to the test, but that's what they have to do. Do you think that we should really drop the stigma of teaching to the test? Because it appears that there are going to be a, a whole 
generation of students who will not be doing well with standardized tests? Or should we really be trying to take the time to educate students um, the way they should be educated? I feel as if we should. Coming from previous schools where that's what they did, they taught for the test. And of course, we saw those games when the scores came out. Yes, they made a whole bunch of games. But what really did the child get from you, the teacher teaching to the test? When I was in school, I don't remember. We took those standardized tests and I can't remember which ones we had when I was in school. But I don't remember our teachers teaching to the test. And I feel as if we learned so much more not having to sit there and, and learn this test. And then these kids now, the, and, it, and it's not the teacher's fault. A lot of times it's pressure from admin or whoever, and they feel that's what they have to do. But having, I have a child in elementary, and I definitely don't want her to be, that's all she knows is, is a text and star. And, and then that anxiety comes and all of that different stuff. So I feel as if teaching to the test is not good, but I know a lot of times most of the teachers don't have a face on that and have to do what they're told to do. Because that data is used by real estate developers to develop. Mm-hmm. It's a necessary evil. I can see mm-hmm. why you would you want to have data driven decisions. You want to build neighborhoods around great schools. You want to attract the best and brightest to come to your school. Teachers want to work at the schools with the best and brightest students. But what it really, what that system really creates is it creates gaps in places where there is a poverty, where there is students who need more attention from teachers because their parents might work longer hours. This was a problem before the pandemic. Is that a bad school because they have to work harder for students or is it the way in which we are testing students? In my opinion, it's a little bit of both. I think that not only do you have the pandemic, but you have everything that went on with the pandemic. People have died. People have lost their loved ones. People have lost jobs. Now, if you look at like high school kids, a lot of those kids are working or they're babysitting their younger siblings so their parents can go to work so they can be able to to survive. And with the major, a lot of students now aren't even going to college. They're graduating and going off to do a trade. I understand you want to work at a great school and real estate and things like that. But truly, are you understanding what you're getting when you're going to that particular school? Okay. I'm a devil's advocate because when we were looking to live in a neighborhood in which we were looking to live in, one of the one of the things we had to have, one of the reasons why we moved is because we wanted our children to go to a great school and be a part of a really good school district. So on Devil's Advocate looking at us, are we wrong for not necessarily living in the hood? I think that you always want the best for your child. You want them to have a great education. I think that's how everybody, a majority of people were raised is that you want to give your child the best education, but just because you live in a great neighborhood and you are going to a certain school district or your child is going to one of the top schools in that school district doesn't mean that is the best place for your child. Flipboard is a great way to collect articles for classes, show off your school and school spirit, and share expertise with peers. 
Flipboard fam, it is now time for Flip Tips. How do I share an article on the web from Flipboard? You can share all the great stories you find on Flipboard.com in several ways. You can share to your friends you follow on Flipboard or share via email. And you can even share to Facebook or Twitter. You can even copy the Flip It link to paste it elsewhere. To share stories to others from Flipboard.com, you would need to tap on the share envelope on the article on the next screen, share the story via email or another friend on Flipboard as well as Facebook and Twitter. In addition to sharing individual stories, you can share a whole magazine you have added or are curating on Flipboard too. To share a magazine with others from Flipboard.com, you need to go to your profile page Tap on the magazine tab, then click the share icon while viewing the magazine cover from the inside of the magazine itself. Choose the option that you wish to share to, and voila, you have shared like a pro on Flipboard. Till next time, family. Flipboard fam, thanks for sticking with me on this episode. I want to thank Tiffany Wiley. Francis Purdue, the CEO of the Purdue Inc., and Lord Jeffrey of Lax Digital for their participation in this Clubhouse conversation. You can find these intelligent guests on Clubhouse, so go follow them. Also, want to give a shout out to the Purdue Inc. If you need a publicist, look for the Purdue Inc. You can read more about this episode and other educators on the educators blog on flipboard.com. I want to give another huge shout out to Aileen Laylor and Crystal Vanderboom for the editorials of the Flip EDU Educators blog. Remember to subscribe to our Flipboard EDU magazine on Flipboard.com. Hey, and please subscribe and share our podcast with an educator or colleague. Our podcast is available for free globally and everywhere you listen to podcasts. So until next time, family.